This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, we're going to be in verse 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also whom, who are in Rome. Thank you. Do you guys remember the toy or the thing that you wanted when you were a young kid? I don't know what that toy was for you. It could have been G.I. Joe, could have been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for Jamie, color TV. <laughs> for me, it was a ripstick. If you don't know what a ripstick is, this is it. It's like a skateboard, but instead of pushing off the ground to go, you kind of swivel your hips and science makes you go forward. I don't get it, don't care. I just thought it was super cool and I wanted one really bad. I came home from one of my best friend Nick's house and he had one and I said, mom, I have to have this ripstick. It is the coolest thing ever. Fearing for my safety, she did not buy me one. <laughs> fair, that's fair. My point is that even though I wanted it so badly when I was young, I thought it was the best thing. I didn't think I could live without it. Now that I'm older and hopefully more mature, I have no interest in a ripstick. It just looks like I would hurt myself. I have no desire to ride or buy a ripstick ever. And in the same way that when our desires change from a young kid to maturing and growing as an adult, the closer we get to God, our desires will begin to align with his. Let's look at Psalm 37, four, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This means that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we grow closer to God, we will begin to take on his desires as our own. We will want the things that we, he wants. We will long for the things that he longs for. And that's great, but what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us three examples of things that we should be desiring, which brings us to our big question today of what should I desire? The first thing that we should desire is godly relationships. Paul gives us a great example of desiring godly relationships. Let's look at verses eight through, through 10, which says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, 
always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now, Paul has never met these people before. He's never met the Romans. But look at verse eight. He is thankful for them. He's thankful for their faith that has been proclaimed in all the world. That's all he knows about them. And more importantly, that's all he needs to know about them. They faithfully follow God. That is all he needs to crave and desire this relationship with them. And what's great about Paul is he's not shy about the fact that he's desiring to meet them. He's not shy about the fact that he longs to see them. Look at what he says. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And in verse 11, for I long to see you. He's never met these people before. It might come off a little strong. Paul might be coming off a little strong here, but it doesn't matter. He loves these people, he cares for them, and he desires to spend time with them. He even goes as far as to thank them. He thanks God for them in verse eight. And when was the last time any of us thanked God for a relationship that we had? Now let's take a closer look at Paul's prayer here. He has this desire and the first thing he does is pray for it. That is so important. And it's also important how he prays for it. He says that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, that somehow by God's will, I will see you. Without ceasing, it's not this one time, oh, hey God, I want this. Can you give it to me? No, okay, let's move on. It's a continuous, ceaseless prayer for this desire that he has. More specifically, it's a consistent, ceaseless prayer for godly community, a godly relationship with the Romans. So why? Why does Paul crave this relationship? Why does he care to have this godly relationship with the Romans? Well, as simply and easily as I can put this, it's because godly relationships are vital to our faith. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Godly relationships. If one falls down, another is there to pick them up. You are with them along the way. Look at Galatians 2.6. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ carry each other's burdens. You can't carry a burden without being with them. You are in a relationship with them. And by doing so, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Let's look at James 5.16, which says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You don't confess your sins to strangers, hopefully. I wouldn't advise it. If you want to, that's fine, but I wouldn't advise it. You have a relationship with the person. You confess your sins to them and you pray for each other. If my point is not obvious yet, I've got another one. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The prerequisite for all of these things is godly relationships. You cannot carry another person's burden without being in a relationship with them. You cannot confess sins and pray for somebody without first being in a relationship with them. You cannot sharpen each other without first being in a relationship with them. So how do we do this? How do we form godly relationships? Well, the first thing you have to do, and this is gonna suck for some of you, you gotta talk to people. I know, I know. And maybe it seems a little weird to just, after this service, go and talk to everyone you see. I'm not asking you to do that. If you wanna do that, that is, that's fine, that works. But more realistically, we have something in place for you to take all of the awkward walking up and introducing yourself away. We have small groups. Get plugged into a small group. We force you to meet people. It's awesome. It's not awkward because we're making you do it. And if you're in a small group already, get really intentional and plugged into it. There is nothing more important than sharing your lives and having fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Live life together. Make these godly relationships and build them so that you can carry each other's burdens. You can sharpen one another and you can grow together. Our society, they don't value relationships nearly as much as we should. Everywhere you go, you hear things like, I'll do it by myself, it's fine, I, I got this, I don't need your help. That is such a lie. We need help. We need help from each other, we need help from God. We are designed to live in community with one another. We are designed Christ-like, and God himself lives in community as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If God lives in community, why do we think we don't need to? Why do we think we can do it on our own? We can't. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Find godly relationships and hold on to them. So we should desire godly relationships. I should desire godly relationships, and now I should desire mutual encouragement. Let's look at verses 11 and 12, which say, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Here we see the reason that Paul wants this godly relationship. He wants to help grow and strengthen each other and encourage each other in their faiths. Paul desires to strengthen them. 
he has this desire to grow together. And the way that Paul plans to strengthen them is by sharing with them a spiritual gift. What does that gift look like? We don't know. And I think one of the reasons we don't know is because at the time, Paul himself probably didn't know specifically what spiritual gift these Romans needed. Because again, he had never met them. He just knew that they, like all of us, need a spiritual gift to grow in our faith. Paul desires to give gifts. He desires to strengthen them. He desires to encourage them, but not just to encourage them, but to be encouraged by them. Look at verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I think that's something that we get wrong a lot of the times with our relationships. We don't desire to have ourselves be filled in these relationships. We have the tendency to just constantly want to give and give and give. And that's not a bad thing. We should desire to give. We should desire to strengthen. We should desire to encourage everyone around us. But there is also this key idea of mutual encouragement. We should be getting encouraged as much as we are encouraging others. We forget the mutual. It's not a one-way street. Even Paul himself doesn't say, yep, I'm gonna sit up here on my white throne and you're gonna come to my feet and I'm gonna give you gifts. I'm gonna strengthen you. I'm gonna encourage you and then get out. If Paul comes to these people and asks for mutual encouragement, why wouldn't we expect mutual encouragement from our relationships. It is something that we aren't very good at. We don't accept encouragement very well. Every time you hear someone get encouraged or complimented for something, the response is almost always gonna be something like, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal or don't worry about it, it was fine. Like, I guess it was all right. That is, we think we're being polite when we respond in that way, but it's not humble, it's not polite, it's, it's ridiculous that we respond that way. For example, something that I love to do is I love to go to the gym. And something about the gym that surprised me when I first went is the people there are very encouraging. I didn't expect that at all, but they are, they are compliment and encourage each other all the time. If, you, if I sit at the gym and take my headphones out and just listen, I will hear so many compliments and so many people encouraging one another. And the response is almost always the same. They'll get a compliment, wow, like you can do that. Like that is so impressive that you just did that. And the response is, oh, whatever, like you probably could do it too or it's not that big of a deal. It drives me crazy that that's how we always respond. And it drives me even crazier that I respond that way. That's how I always respond. Instead of just saying, thank you, I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. 
we just kind of blow it off and lessen it, which not only sucks for you, it kind of sucks for the person giving you the encouragement. We think we're being nice, we think we're being polite, but really we're just kind of saying, oh, thanks for the compliment, but let's calm down. That is nuts. It's encouraging for the person giving encouragement when you just accept it. You say, thank you, that means a lot. It's better for you, it's better for them, it's better for everybody. And it's something we should be desiring. We should desire encouragement from others. We need to be encouraged if we are going to encourage others consistently. Paul himself needed encouragement so that he could go on encouraging other people. We have to be mutually encouraged in our faith. And it doesn't have to be compliments. Look at what Paul says. He says, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. It doesn't have to be, oh, wow, your faith is amazing. That's not what encouragement has to look like. It could be simply you faithfully following God in the presence of others and them seeing it and they will be encouraged by it. And you also seeing them live faithfully will encourage you. That's how this is supposed to work. Now, this is not to say that trying to encourage others and trying to strengthen others is a bad thing. No, it's a wonderful thing. We should all be desiring it. Paul desired it. I'm just saying that it's so much easier for us to pour out to other people than to let other people pour into us. And we need to stop it. We need encouragement. We need encouragement in our faith and in our relationships. So I should desire godly relationships. I should desire mutual encouragement. And finally, I should desire gospel expansion. Let's look at verses 13 through 15, which say, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul's desire for gospel expansion is so obvious. Open up any of his letters and I can almost guarantee you that within one chapter, you will see evidence of Paul's desire for gospel expansion. Here specifically, he desires for the gospel to be expanded to the Romans. And look what he says. He often intended to come to Rome, but he's been prevented. What has he been prevented? Why has he been prevented? Because he's still preaching the gospel other places. He wants to reap harvest among the Romans. He wants to spread the gospel to the Romans. He's under obligation. That's how strong his desire for gospel expansion is. He feels obligated to spread it to the world. 
The Greek word for this means one who is obligated to do something in a moral or social sense. Paul's desire was so strong that he felt obligated to spread the gospel. And he felt obligated to spread the gospel to who? Well, to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. And back then, they used the word barbarian just to mean anyone that didn't speak Greek, anyone who wasn't Greek. So this may come as a surprise, but everybody in the world is either a Greek or not Greek. So Paul is under obligation to the entire world. And what kind of obligation is it? It's not emotional obligation. An emotional obligation would be when you walk outside today and smell the chicken and you feel emotionally obligated to go eat some. That's, I can almost promise you, you're gonna feel emotionally obligated to eat it. But this obligation is stronger than that. It's a moral obligation, which would be like if Jamie was dying and I had the cure right here and I just kind of watched it and just kind of watched it happen. Oh, that sucks. Um... <laughs> no, it couldn't have been. And I just kind of watched him and said, oh, I wish someone could do something. I could do something. I'm morally obligated to do something. I'm obligated to do that. If Even to the point of if I don't do it, I would be doing the wrong thing. And that's how strong Paul's obligation to spread the gospel to the whole world is. He feels like he's doing the wrong thing if he's not spreading the gospel. Is that how we desire gospel expansion? Do we want it so bad? Do we desire it so much that we feel like we've done something wrong if we go a day without spreading it? If we go a day without talking about it? I would argue that we should if we go a day without mentioning the gospel. Have we done something wrong? And look at where Paul wants the gospel to go. Look at verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So clearly Paul wants the gospel to reach the Romans. But look at that word also. He wants to preach the gospel also to those in Rome, meaning he's already preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel everywhere he goes. He specifically wants it to go to Rome, but he also wants it to go everywhere. So yes, we should desire for the gospel to be spread to Croatia. Yes, we should desire for the gospel to be spread to Uganda, but we should also desire for the gospel to be spread right here in Fort Wayne. Whether you're at work or at your kid's game or anywhere you go, I promise you, you will be surrounded by at least one person who is Greek or not Greek. They're everywhere. And we should have the desire to spread the gospel to them. We should feel obligated to spread the gospel to them. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Whether it's a non-believer or even a believer, 
We all need more gospel. It's right here. Every day we have access to it and we take it for granted. We should be desiring to spread it to others and also to ourselves because we can never have too much gospel in our lives. I should desire godly relationships. I should desire mutual encouragement and I should desire gospel expansion. How are we gonna get those desires? It's not gonna be by wanting it more. It's not gonna be waking up and writing them down every day so that they get ingrained in our brain. We're not gonna put a wristband on and snap it every time we desire something else. No, we are going to get it by drawing closer to God. Look at Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Grow closer to God. Spread the gospel to yourself and grow closer to God. Take on God's desires. Delight in God and he will give you all the desires that you need. Delight in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for giving us the opportunity to learn more about you, to learn more how to glorify you better and to glorify your name in the process of all that we do. Lord, I pray that you bless the rest of this day. I pray that you bless that chicken that's already been blessed outside. And in your name I pray, amen. Redemption, you are loved.